0: This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. I had the pleasure of interviewing Stepman Graham recently. He just wrote a book on leadership, and the thrust of his book is self reliance. He posits that if we focus on ourselves and building ourselves and overcoming our insecurities and building our confidence and mapping out our goals, that we can achieve great things. And I actually agree with him. He says, you know, don't worry about racism. Don't worry about sexism, xenophobia. None of those things matter. All that matters is you. And you, if you come together with yourself and, and, and focus on the things that you want to accomplish. We'll be able to do that. And um, I'm living proof of that. So are many people who are listening to my voice right now. You have overcome great adversity. You have pushed through many obstacles, whether they were family obstacles or the world obstacles, to be where you are right now. A lot of you every day are working towards your happy place. You're working on the things in your life and eradicating the things in your life that make you unhappy, and you're moving towards that. And we should absolutely do that. As a matter of fact, much of this space is devoted to the things that you individually can do to make your life better. But I disagree with Stepman Graham on this, and every day I'm confronted with the reality that we live in a world that is not on equal footing in terms of education, in terms of knowledge. As a matter of fact, I think we live in a world that is woefully ignorant, purposefully so, that I think individuals don't want to know the truth and they don't want to know facts because their life, their existence is great. <laughs> or at least, you know, if if they don't have to confront certain things, they are good. And I and I see this show up, especially on my radio show when I start talking about injustice. When I start talking about things like Sandra Bland's new rele- newly released video of what happened inside her car when she was stopped and, and why this woman with everything ahead of her, new job, just heading towards a new life, pulled over for, according to the police, failure to signal, and the altercation that transpired after that landed her in jail and then mysteriously hung in her jail cell jail cell. Suicide, they say. But... The video from the inside of her car tells a different story of a woman that was a fighter, resilient, ready to to bring bring lawyers down on this cop for what was clearly uh, misconduct, uh, dereliction of duty. And we know this because right before Sandra Bland was pulled over, a white woman, a white girl, young girl was pulled over before her for failure to signal and that girl was spoken to in such, with such dulcet tones and told to go ahead and have a good day and was not even given a citation. So clearly race is a problem in America. And every time I talk about it, I'll get on occasion, and I don't let too many of these calls through because it's exhausting, somebody calling up to troll to basically dispute or you know, try to shut me up because for a person that's identified as white, who identifies himself as white. And for the record again, whiteness is a made-up construct. There's no such thing as a white person. There's no such thing as a black person. This racial construct is a made-up construct devised to to control, to build to contain and retain power. Period. But there are people that are wedded to it because in their minds as long as I'm white, I'm good. They may not consciously, they may not consciously feel that way, but it's evident because the calls start coming in. And I say to myself, wow, so you sit here and you can listen to everything that we talk about about empowering ourselves, about being healthy, about being wealthy, the books that we have on, the great guests that we have, the contributors to the show, and the time you feel you need to pick up the phone to call to challenge me, is when we start talking about racism and injustice in horrific ways in which, for example, a police will slam a young black boy to the ground and punch him in his head or take a girl who's in a swimsuit at a swimsuit party, the swim party, and drag her along the ground by the hair. Could you ever see that happening to a white kid in this country? No, I just saw a young girl, she couldn't have been more than 15, body slammed, and then the officer is like basically lands on top of her with his 200 pounds. A young black girl, I saw a young black boy pulled out of a car if the officer banged in, smashed his window with his elbow and pulls this boy through the broken glass. None of them were armed. None of them, none of them were posing a threat. None of them were even saying much. This couldn't happen in this country without complete reform of police. To, to white kids, not on a regular basis and not at the, the rate that it's happening to our children. But yet, we're supposed to do what? Now, I'm not using this space right now to talk about, not right now, but I will at some point, to talk about what we, we need to do. But I want to use this because the, this space, I, I um three and a half years ago on my radio show, I read this book called The Half Has Never Been Told. Slavery and the Making of American Capitalism is written by Dr. Edward E. Baptist. It is one of the best, most comprehensive, wonderful, well-written, well-documented books I've ever read on the subject of slavery. And it's written from a capitalist, from a money, from a foundational of American standpoint. If you have anyone in your life at work or what have you (laughs) who identifies as being a white person this is a book you should buy or get at the library where don't get at the library because they may not give it back in time you get fees I don't want you to get fees um but if you can afford it and it's 480 something pages it uh the hardcover that I have cost $35 and I actually purchased it um This is a must read for any white person who wants to talk about slavery, doesn't matter. Stop talking. Can we stop talking about slavery? That happened. My people came here in the 1900s. We had nothing to do with slavery. Why do I have to hear this? Because you benefit from a system that was literally built on the backs with the hands and feet of black bodies, literally. As a matter of fact, the way Edward Baptist divides the book, the table of contents, he starts in the introduction with the heart. Okay, and then he goes to chapter one, the feet, goes to the head, right hand, left hand, tongues, breath, seed, blood. Chapter nine, backs. Chapter 10, arms, and the afterward, the afterward is the corpse. There are maps, there are notations, there's all kinds of documentation, everything in this book is backed up with fact, right? So um, if you're reading this for the first time, great. What I'm going to do, and I don't know how many podcasts I'm going to do this over, but I'm going to reread this book. It's that important. It was that powerful for me. This is the first book in my entire reading career that has more than 100 little sticky notes and dog ears. And I've Just about every page I I make a notation. I have never done this to a book before. I actually took a picture because when I look at it in my bookcase, it's the one book that stands out because there's so many notations and things because at every turn I was like stunned. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that or wow. Wow, and and this happened, okay? And I'm somebody that's pretty well read. I've read, you know, most of Carter G. Woodson's works. Um, W.E.B. Du Bois has some great books on on history, Black history, um, the Negro, and others. And I've read those. And you know, I, I I of course studied Dr. Ben and and others. So, Black history is not something that's foreign to me. But this is something next level. So. Uh, I'm inviting you to join me if you haven't read the book welcome if you have I'm rereading this and I'm going to go through all of my notations so I don't know how long this is going to take this is obviously going to be a series and I've wanted to do and use this space to do book club type events and I had been toying with doing you know maybe some live book clubs and I may still do that as well on YouTube or Instagram Um, but this space is is very personal to me and I just want to thank you guys who are joining me on this journey in this podcast space as I find my voice and I figure out exactly how I'm going to use this particular avenue to get messages out. But this right here is, is going to happen. So he starts out in the introduction, Edward Baptist does, um, following the story of a man named Lorenzo Ivey. Lorenzo Ivey was enslaved in a place called Danville, Virginia. And he talks about um, so shortly after slavery, the government sent people out um, as part of FDR's, I guess, New, new Deal, um, to uh, go and talk to people who had been enslaved. He sent out writers and students. They were hired to interview uh, Americans, newly, newly formed Americans, because uh, after the passing of the 14th and 15th Amendment, um, formerly enslaved people, got their citizenship, right? And so the job was to go out and interview people to get their experiences, to to get facts and data and details about this institution called slavery, right? And so he starts off, and this is one of my my areas that I've dog-eared, so I'm going to start here uh, with some interview questions that the gentleman went out to Mr. Lorenzo's um, home. Now, Lorenzo Ivy, in 1875, actually traveled a uh, couple of hundred miles to Hampton, to Hampton Institute to learn how to read, because Hampton at the time, one of the great, venerable HBCUs, and there are many of them out there, God bless all y'all, um, they had a literacy program, and so Lorenzo learned how to read, and actually studied at Hampton Institute, left there, and returned to Danville, where he became a teacher, he also literally built his home with his own hands, because... Those were skills that people had back then, and also built homes for his parents who were still living, and um, built a community, actually, from, from all that he learned at Hampton, what he studied there. So um, it opens up, and this is not the opening page, but there are a list of questions that these people are asked to, to ask the formerly enslaved. So um, one of the, I'm going to read from this right now. All right. So the, the, the questioner says, um, did slaves mind being called nigger? What did slaves call master or mistress? Have you been happier in slavery or free? I'm going to pause on that one. I guess the, the answer could be weird. Um, maybe people could be happier enslaved when they were eating regularly and not tortured and beaten and um, brutalized every day because they were property and that would be counterintuitive and counterproductive. Okay, we'll move on. Was the mansion house pretty? And then Edward writes, Edward uh, E. Baptist, escaping from chains is very difficult, however. So Anderson, the questioner, dutifully asked the prescribed questions and poised his pencil to take notes. Ivy listened politely. He sat still. Then he began to speak. My mother's master was named William Turnstall. He was a mean man. There was only one good thing he did, and I don't reckon he intended to do that. He sold our family to my father's master, George H. Gilman. Baptist writes, perhaps the wind blowing through the window changed as a cloud moved across the spring sun. Old Turnstall caught the cotton fever. There was a fever going round, Ivy said. "Leastways, it was like a fever. Everyone was dying to get down south and grow cotton to sell. So old Turnstall separated families right and left, He took two of my aunts and left their husbands up here, and he separated all together seven husbands and wives. One woman had 12 children, yes, sir. Took them all down south with him to Georgia and Alabama. Baptist writes, pervasive separations, tears carving lines on faces. Lorenzo remembered his relief as dodging the worst, but he also remembered knowing that it was just a lucky break. Next time it could have been his mother. No white person was reliable because money drove their decisions. No, this wasn't the story the books told. And he goes on to talk about King George. Actually, I'm gonna read this because this is important. So Anderson moved to the next question. Did Ivy know of any slaves had been sold here in Virginia? Now perhaps the room grew darker. For more than a century, white people in the United States had been singling singling out slave traders as an exception unscrupulous lower class outsiders who pried apart paternalistic bonds, scapegoaters had a noble precedent. In his first draft of the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson tried to blame King George III for using the Atlantic slave trade to impose slavery on the colonies. In historians' tellings, the 1808 abolition of the Atlantic slave trade brought stability to slavery, ringing in the Old South as it had been called once before the civil as it had been called once before the civil war of course one might wonder how something that was brand new created after a revolution and growing more rapidly than any other commodity producing economy in history before then could be considered old but never mind historians depicted slave trading after 1808 as irrelevant to what slavery was in the old south and to how america as a whole was shaped America's modernization was about entrepreneurs, creativity, invention, markets, movement, and change. Slavery was not about any of these things, not about slave trading or moving people away from everyone they knew in order to make them more cotton. Therefore, modern America and slavery had nothing to do with each other. And it goes from there. But here's what I want to underscore. I got a, I got a caller asking me about, well, you know, um, Africans sold other Africans into slavery and blah, blah, blah. And I just, you know, please read a book. Please read another book, not this. You can read this one too, actually. There's some, some of that in here. But, you know, what's not told, and this is why the book is, the half has never been told, is that the vast majority of enslaved people, the four million who were emancipated, were created in America. America. The slave trade, the the transatlantic slave trade, ended in 1808 in America. Now, of course, there were some rogue operatives out there snatching black bodies off of the continent, but the vast majority were created. There were whole states. The state of South Carolina was a breeding state. Think about that. Human beings forced to copulate to produce crops of humans that would then be sold into bondage or used to produce more cotton or tobacco or sugar or rice. They weren't human beings. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you go, well, they probably weren't, they were savages or whatever, first of all, you're a racist. But also, you really don't understand what this was about. Because the dehumanization of human beings who, for time immemorial, started civilization. We're talking about the, the, the sons and daughters of people who gave you freaking aqueducts Autopsies. Science and math. These are the same people that were on the holds of those ships. They were descendants of people who built pyramids. I'm saying that this is a fact. You don't have to believe me, but to to diminish them, as they did in Phyllis Wheatley's horrible, horrible writings, call this a dark continent that these people were coming from, they were savages and cannibals, therefore worthy of this treatment, is not factual. It's not history. It's a lie. It's a lie told to justify horrors, to justify genocide, to justify terror, terrorism, to justify how this country was really built. So if you're one of these people that say, I don't want to hear about slavery, my people came here in the 1920s and 30s with a dollar in their pocket. We didn't have slaves, why do I have to talk about this? Well, if you live in America, you live in a country whose wealth was built on the backs of people from Africa. Of course, later, other people came here, Chinese helped with the railroads, etc. But there were also folk from Africa, uh, formerly enslaved people on the chain gangs out there building the railroads as well. But I digress. I want to talk about this because I'm going to start disseminating and breaking down this book. And I hope you join me um, as we follow the story of Lorenzo Ivey and so many other people like Patsy from 12 Years a Slave. She's in this book. And I'm going to break it down and talk about, as I go through my dog years and my notes, the things that most impacted me. So I'm looking forward to this. And I want to say this, you know, while Stem and Graham was totally right, you know, self-reliance and working on ourselves and fixing ourselves and, and, and dealing with our own neighborhoods and the faults that we have. Absolutely but you can't heal yourself until you get to the root of your disease. And the root of our disease is 400 years of this bull crap called slavery, 400 years of indoctrination into a mindset of self-hatred, 400 years of willful denigration and and, and destruction of a people, 400 years of separating families. It is a miracle if you are in a healthy, loving relationship right now and you're black, a descendant of a enslaved person, it's a miracle because you weren't conditioned to love one another. So every day when I listen to the callers in the streets and I get to talk to people or I go on Twitter and I'm part of a community, a loving, supportive community, I know that I'm part of a miracle because that wasn't designed for us to be forgiving and loving and caring and understanding. It was designed for us to hate ourselves and hate each other and build and continue to build other people's wealth. If you're building your own wealth right now and you're caring about your own community right now, and you're doing the work of being a great parent, a great husband, a great mother, a great father, a great sister. If you are teaching and providing a service and if you are living a happy existence, you are a miracle. And we need more of us to be miracles. So that's my commitment. That's my goal. We're going to break down the half has never been told. I don't know how many podcasts I'm going to do, but I'm going to get through this whole book, and I hope you go get it. Buy a copy for somebody else, too, who considers himself white because everybody needs to be reading this book. Till next time. Love you.